Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now securing a mystery slot in the Royal Rumble. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's episode, we're going to be breaking down Chapter 5 of the Book of Boba Fett, The Return of the Mandalorian. Plus, we're talking AEW Beach Break and our predictions for Royal Rumble. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Alright, so up first, James Gunn and HBO Max are developing a second Suicide Squad spin-off series. So right after the series premiere of Gunn's first Suicide Squad spin-off, Peacemaker, Gunn himself has actually revealed plans for a second show directly spinning off from the Suicide Squad film. James Gunn, speaking with Deadline, stated, We're working on something else now, another TV show that's connected to that universe. But, of course, he refused to share any more details other than the fact that it was Gunn's idea as he approached HBO Max with doing another character. Gunn also elated in the success of Peacemaker and teased that a possible second season is on the horizon as well. So, I mean, that's all good news for those of you who actually enjoyed Suicide Squad and Peacemaker so far. I don't know about you, Damon, but if there was a character I'd be interested in seeing a little bit more from, as maybe even a prequel to Suicide Squad, it would probably be Polka Dot Man. I think there's a lot you could do with that kind of character, especially with what we saw in the movie and his kind of, you know, instability. Yeah, but Christian, he's dead. So, well, we, I mean, would it be a flashback? Prequel, prequel, prequel. prequel. <laughs> okay, oh, I missed that, okay. <laughs> no, Christian, you're wrong. The obvious choice is King Shark. Oh, uh, well, Come I on, guess man. I could see that movie. I don't show at least like with James King Gunn. King Shark, he befriends some little kid, and then we get kind of like uh, a Kelvin and Hobbes story, except with a lot more gore. Uh-huh. I mean, come on. <laughs> I would watch that. I would. <laughs> um, As much as I would love to see that, I, I do feel like Ratcatcher 2 is probably the character that's most accessible for a spinoff, especially since they kind of really like started to dive into her backstory during the Suicide Squad, which seemed pretty interesting. Um, You know, she was really the heart of that film, if you think about it. But he might be saving her for, like, the Suicide Squad sequel. So, I mean, maybe we will get a King Shark or a Polka Dot Man, you know, prequel. Who knows? But what I do know, Christian, is the one character I don't ever want to see on the screen again is the fucking Weasel Man. Like, just looking at that character gives me the fucking creeps. Like, I can't handle that character. (laughs) (laughs) Just, he looks just disgusting. So, I usually I'm not that squeamish. Like, I would watch King Shark tear apart people all day long, you know, opposed to, like, watching a fucking minute of the Weasel show, so. (laughs) I feel like he'll be a gag for the next film, if there is another film in the world. I'm sure, and he's still alive, right? Yeah, he shows up randomly at the end. (laughs) That thing just gives me the creeps. I don't know. All right, up next, Marvel reportedly removes two upcoming Disney Plus shows from the 2022 calendar. 
So among the many shows that were announced last year during Disney Plus Day, coming from Marvel on you know their platform, two have apparently been removed. Secret Invasion and What If Season 2 both are no longer set for 2022, at least for now according to a lineup on the Marvel Disney's official Japanese website. Though in reality no you know dates were actually given during that event. And we also know that Secret Invasion is in production, especially since we just got images this week of Amelia Clark and company on set. But I also believe we've you know, speculated on the show at least that what if season two is probably deep into production as well. I wouldn't be surprised if there's just been, you know, a shift in their releases to maybe like early 2023, but they could still possibly come out late 2022 as well. I'm just hoping that this isn't a trend for this year in general, where we'll be losing shows like Miss Marvel and She-Hulk as well. I don't think so because I think both of those series are actually in the can right now. They're in post-production. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, Secret Invasion, like you said, is filming currently, but with COVID protocols and everything, I could definitely see them pushing that back to 2023. And honestly, I don't even think in their little, like, Disney Plus, like, preview for 2022 trailer, they didn't even tease Secret Invasion or uh, What If Season 2. So the fact that it made it onto that, like, Japanese site the way it did was news at first, but I'm wondering if that was some kind of weird typo. Um, you know, with animation, we talked about it. It, it takes a while to do. Exactly. So, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, here's to hoping that they both show up in 2022. That'd be amazing. I mean, it's a jam-packed year as is, but, I mean... I could hold off to, you know, early 2023 if I have to. We all know some poor intern probably got fired over this. (laughs) No, absolutely. And I mean, like, like I I mean, there's no reason to rush, right? Like, just put out quality shit. That's all that we care Hmm. about. All right, next we have Mortal Kombat 2 greenlit with Moon Knight Rider attached. It's no secret that I wasn't a fan of that first new Mortal Kombat film. But I won't lie, I was surprised to find out that New Line Cinema greenlit Mortal Kombat 2. Details about the sequel are few and far between, but we do know that Jeremy Slater, who wrote for the new Moon Knight series and has also you know worked on several other projects like Umbrella Academy is signed on to write this film. Don't get me wrong, there was plenty of fun video game homages to make for you know a visual spectacle in this first film, but in no way was the story or its characters even remotely on par with the 90s films or even the game franchise's story, which it's all cheesy in the end, so you think that wouldn't be too hard to capture. But if anything, I'm just hoping if they continue to make these films, maybe just go back to the drawing board, scrap whatever this new hero storyline is, and just try and build off of what fans know and love in these characters. I mean, we didn't even get a tournament the first film. I mean, yeah, hopefully this is just a sequel in name only and pretend the last film didn't happen um, because it was pretty fucking awful, right? (laughs) It was bad. Which was disappointing because we were both really looking forward to it because it feels like it's such an easy premise, you know, to base a film around. Like, it should be just, like, all you have to do is retell the story from the video games. And the fact that, like, there wasn't even a fucking tournament. We didn't even have (laughs) Mortal Kombat in that film. Like, what, what were they thinking? I mean, hopefully Jeremy Slater is able to salvage the good out of it. Um, and, you know, make lemonade out of lemons, I guess. Uh, or lemonade out of piss. Um, but (laughs) I really love Umbrella Academy and I heard the Exorcist series was good. I know he worked on that also. 
Um, so here's to hoping. You know, I'm really getting into series at this point, you know, since there's just so many coming out and I wouldn't mind a Mortal Kombat series, something, you know, coming to HBO Max. I feel that would be a good idea for that franchise as well. Oh, that'd be great. Um, probably super expensive. I feel uh -huh. like HBO has plenty of money. If Disney Plus could pull it off, you know, every other month, really, with these giant blockbuster series, why not? It's not my money. <laughs> and if you think about it, like a story that's based around a tournament is probably better served as a series. It, it, that does make much more sense, especially with the amount of characters that Mortal mm. Kombat has to dive into, like story-wise. So I, I think that's a great idea. Wasn't there a Mortal Kombat series at one point, a really bad series? There, there's been multiple things. Well, uh, I know there was a fan-made thing, but there mm -hmm. was, an, I believe, there was an actual series at one point. Yeah, it was like the late '90s. It was in syndication. Um, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. They they definitely didn't have the budget for what they were trying to like pull off. Uh, and it showed. So, but anyway, do something like that, but you know, make it good. I mean, it's that easy, right, Christian? It's that easy. And lastly, there's a Godzilla TV series in development at Apple TV+. Plus. So this news dropped last week, and it seems like the king of all monsters is making a huge leap to the small screen over on Apple TV+. Plus. Deadline reported on this news as Legendary disclosed the series will be following one family journey through a world where these titans exist and along the way they will discover a mysterious link to the monarch. So far, no details on if any of the characters from the films will appear, but the two sides of the property will be connected. So in the end, it does seem like Legendary was very happy with the success of Godzilla vs. Kong, and that's what sparked you know, some interest in making a televised series. But already based on the description of the show they have in mind, I am a tad bit worried, and I do hope that they you know, still understand why Godzilla vs. Kong worked in comparison to the previous films in the series. And you know that's because they focus mostly on our monsters fighting rather than too much of the human element that plagued the second Godzilla film in the franchise. Also gotta say, Warner Brothers and HBO Max should have fought a little bit harder for this title to you know, live on their service, as the film overall should have been a success for them as well. But again, here is another interesting series coming to Apple TV+, and we will keep an eye out for future details and potential spin-offs for the MonsterVerse. Alright Christian, that time has finally arrived! We're breaking down the Return of the Mandalorian, Chapter 5 of the Book of Boba Fett. Warning spoiler alert, major spoilers for the Book of Boba Fett series ahead. You have been warned. It can also pierce Beskar armor. Mere existence puts Mandalorians at risk. Mandalorian steel is meant for armor, not weapons. Then forge it into armor. This week we interrupt your regularly scheduled episode of Book of Boba to present you a full-on Mandalorian episode featuring everyone's favorite, Din Djarin. So yeah, I mean, this felt like more of a prologue for season three of The Mandalorian uh -huh. than it did like an episode <laughs> of The Book of Boba Fett. It was kind of weird. Not that I'm complaining because, I mean, it was amazing especially the first half, but we'll get into that. When we join up with Mando, he's on a bounty in a Nerf meat butcher shop. His mark being Kaba seems to be some kind of gangster that runs this place. In a moment that mirrors the very first episode of The Mandalorian, Kaba is given a choice either to come in hot or get taken in cold. This Clatoonian chooses the hard route as his goons attack Mando, only for them to get chopped up by Din Djarin's new weapon, the Darksaber. However, during the fight, Din Djarin clearly isn't fully used to fighting with this elegant weapon, 
as he burns his own leg during the scuffle. This still isn't enough to stop him though as he cuts his mark straight in half. God damn, I loved everything about this scene. I mean, just the grittiness of it all. I mean, Mando doing what he does best, collecting fucking bounties. I mean, really, the kind of moment that last season in The Mandalorian, we didn't get a lot of, if you think about it. I mean, I just love seeing Mando too, like welding the dark saber but also like they did a great job of just establishing that it's a skill that needs to be honed that you don't just pick the thing up and start you know cutting motherfuckers down even though i mean he did do a little bit of that and which i was really surprised like how graphic they got for you know a disney plus series but i mean exactly at the same time i applaud them Clearly wounded, Din Djarin tries to leave after collecting Kaba's head in a bag and ends up facing a crowd of butcher employees and convinces them to take the money their former boss had laying around instead of attacking him so that he may leave. And luckily they go for that before our title screen begins. In the next scene, Din Djarin can be found on a ring-like space station civilization called Glavos that looks straight out of the video game Halo. This space station just looked awesome. Uh, Christian, is this the first time we've been off planet in uh, this series? Yeah, in the Book of Boba, absolutely. They okay. haven't been anywhere else. Okay, maybe that's why, like, it's just like the juxtaposition <laughs> compared to like the last like four episodes. Mm -hmm. But like, this was just breathtaking. Well, I mean, you think about it, all you've been seeing is like the orange sands of Tatooine. Uh, now you're in a lot of blue fucking steel. sand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of fucking sand. And I'm like Attican, I hate sand. So this was a, a breath of fresh air. While the people of this station resemble that of Coruscant's party-like atmosphere, Dinjarin doesn't seem to conform to their customs or behavior. Upon meeting the person who set up this bounty, he refuses to eat with them, clearly trying to stick to the Mandalorian creed, and forces them to give him the information he has been looking for. As always, Mando's strictly business, and that's what we love about him. After following some hidden markers, it turns out that the armorer had set up an outpost here on the ring for their people, which currently is only the armorer, Dinjarin, and Paz Vizsla who survived the assault on Tatooine in season one. Making it to the armorer, Dinjarin's wounds finally get the best of him though as he topples over. As commanded by the armorer, Paz Vizsla uses a healing spray on his wounds. Man, I was just so taken aback that we got the armorer. Like, in this episode, within, like, the first, like, ten minutes. I was like, geez, they're really diving in deep with Mando here. Yes. I was not expecting any of this, but I mean, what a great surprise. Explaining how Din Djarin got hurt, he shows the armorer the Darksaber, which prompts her to tell Din Djarin of the history and significance of this blade. She explains the importance of winning it through combat as those who don't will bring destruction to Mandalore. Going even further, the armorer explains its history stating how it was created over a thousand years ago by the Jedi Tar Vizsla, an ancestor of the other remaining Mandalorian of their sect, Paz Vizsla. Dinjarin continues to explain the events of Season 2 to the armorer as she asks him about his Beskar spear and seems a little upset by its existence as Beskar is only meant to protect the Mandalorians and not be used to pierce Beskar armor. Dinjarin quickly offers it to be made into armor for the Foundlings, but more importantly he wants it to be made into armor for Grogu. Recognizing that Grogu is being trained by the Jedi, the armorer questions this decision as the Jedi must give up all attachments to succeed in their training. But Mando is quick to respond how that very belief is against their own, which the armorer then agrees to make something for our little green friend. Man, what a huge revelation that he's actually planning to visit Grogu, because I wasn't expecting to get that in season three, but we might actually get that here in like 
Book of Boba Fett, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely seems like he's going to have to visit him by the end of this, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to get too far ahead. Din Djarin then explains running into Bo-Katan, and we learn more from the armor about how Bo-Katan's rule over Mandalore after being gifted the Darksaber did in fact lead to the death and destruction of the planet, forcing those who remain to spread out. The armorer blames Bo-Katan and people like her from straying from the path of the Mandalorians that eventually allowed the Empire to rain bombs during the Night of a Thousand Tears, where we see the actual dome capital being blown to hell. Holy shit, do I need this to be like a live action miniseries? I mean, seeing those bombers flood the sky was just fucking terrifying. I mean, if you remember last episode, I was questioning like the need for a Bo-Katan series. But after seeing this moment on the screen, now I really want a Bo-Katan series. Like, I need a Bo-Katan series. Uh -huh. I, like, if you think about it, she was in charge during this. So imagine, like, the grief and guilt, like, she must, like, be carrying as a character. And, like, just the complexity of her story and all the great, like, storytelling opportunities that they're there if you do, like, a full-fledged series, you know, with her. Because she's got to just be this haunted character. Um, especially if, like, that series ends up with her reclaiming Mandalore at the end. No, exactly. Like what I love about this scene in particular is how it kind of reaffirms like the armor's beliefs about the like dark saber and stuff like that. Because I mean, what we saw at the end of last season with Mando was you know she didn't want to take the blade back unless it was in combat. So even like her, someone who laughed at their religion, is not you know mocking you know the tradition of this blade anymore, especially after all the crazy events that happened at you know the death of Mandalore. Yes, I mean I was glad they gave us that explanation on why she would be hesitant to accept the dark saber because we brought it up. Up when we were doing the breakdowns for you know mandalorian season two like you know she originally just took the thing from sabine uh -huh. so what's different now so of course she's going to be superstitious about it you know knowing the legend and knowing what happened to her um it just makes perfect sense i mean once again this was a lot more story than i was expecting for mando here like i really thought it was just going to be this like glorified cameo you know yes. where he'd like show up help Boba, like, kill some pikes and then move on, right? <laughs> but they really, like, dive deep into, like, the lore of the Darksaber and just explaining, like, the importance of it to the Mandalorians. Um, I mean, this was a straight, like, history lesson, really. I mean, she goes into, like, the whole legend about the one who rides the Mythosaur will lead them. Um, we do know that, like, even though technically it's not in continuity, Boba rode a mythosaur in that Christmas special. Uh -huh. And he does, <laughs> but hold on. He does allude to it in like what, like uh, the episode with uh, Machete uh, when mm -hmm. he's talking about riding the Rancor. So knowing that, like, do you think Boba's going to end up leading the Mandalorians? I think there's a possibility for that just because I don't know if they want to, you know, lock up mando's character in that type of role by the end of his story like i feel like he either will probably sacrifice himself for grogu in some way or will you know try and go on more adventures or they'll end it on a happy note of course with him and grogu going off into the sunset i can't imagine him being the leader of mandalore speaking of grogu technically if you think about it 
Grogu will be the first Mandalorian slash Jedi since Tar Vizsla. You know, no, does, that's a good point. Does that come into play somehow? Uh, possibly. I could definitely see that being, you know, the, the root for him. I just don't know, like, without, you know, them ever mentioning a character like, you know, Grogu out in the universe in any of the other films or stuff like that, how, how it fits, you know, because he, he would be a Jedi at that point. Yeah, he would have to be. That is if Kylo doesn't mow him down with the rest yeah. of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just too horrible to think about. Uh, afterwards, Din Djarin attempts to train with the Darksaber, now being his primary weapon. The armorer notes how Din Djarin is distracted and not able to control the blade after Din Djarin notes a strange weight he feels that Sabine had actually once felt when she trained with it back in Star Wars Rebels. You know me, Christian. I'm a nerd for continuity, so the fact that they had this moment here, I mean, just meant the world to me. I completely forgot about how there's kind of a weight to it, so I was wondering, I'm like, what What kind of weight? It's a fucking light blade, uh -huh. you know? <laughs> no, this was this was definitely well done and a great callback. While Din Djarin attempts to persevere through this, Paz Vizsla actually sees this as a moment of weakness and an opportunity for him to claim the weapon of his ancestors and challenges Mando to combat. Din Djarin, of course, agrees and a duel ensues. And while Mando still struggles with the Darksaber, once knocked out of his hands, he is quick to defeat Paz Vizsla. So this was a straight up street fight. And if I was Din, I would have like played the classic Rudo heel here and like try to remove the dude's mask because <laughs> that would have totally taken him off guard. Am I right? Uh -huh. I mean, that's his weakness, his extremism. I mean, it would be a little disrespectful, especially since, you know, Fuck he's right there for the armor and everything. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's a street fight. It's for like the rule of Mandalore. So, I mean, whatever. <laughs> You got to do what you got to do. I get you. But I was surprised with just there being only three of them, how hard hitting they were being. Like, it looked like he was going to kill them half the time. That's what I'm saying, though. I mean, they were going all out. So it is what it is. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this in a little bit. I was kind of surprised, like, how loyal Mando still is to, like, the Creed. In a twist of fate, the armorer, while having called the fight in Din Djarin's favor, then proceeds to ask them both if they had ever broken their vow to never remove their helmet. While Paz had not, Din Djarin in Season 2 was put in a situation where he had to, so he broke his vow. Now labeled an apostate in the eyes of their creed, Mando asks for a way to atone, but the only answer is to cleanse yourself in the living waters between the minds of the now-destroyed Mandalore. But with no other options, Din Djarin leaves now in exile to what's left of his people. This episode, once again, is doing so much legwork for season three of Mando. It's pretty crazy. But back to Mando's loyalty to like the Creed or whatever, I was actually expecting more of a confrontation here with Mando like questioning, like, why did they keep him in the dark about like the other Mandalorian cultures? Because if you remember, like he was totally taken aback when he found out there were Mandalorians who like removed their fucking helmet in season two. Mm -hmm. Like he had no clue. So I was expecting him to be almost resentful towards, you know, the armorer. Um, but I'm sure that's a conversation that's going to eventually happen. Um, but could you imagine, like, the horrible case of fucking head hair he must have? Like, <laughs> I'm saying, like, he's wearing a helmet all the time. I don't know about hmm. you, but my hair hurts, like, when I wear a hat, like, all day long. So 
I mean, let alone a fucking helmet. Oh, if I put a hat on, that's just what I'm wearing that day. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's just it. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Like, I just found it interesting that their culture and their way is, like, so ingrained in him that he doesn't even try to question it. At least at this point. I mean, maybe it's just the rubble of me, but if I had the dark saber, I'd be like, fuck you. I make the rules now. You can go screw. <laughs> I am a Mandalorian, and you need a bow to me. I mean, he does have more claim to it than them at this point with that saber, so. I don't know. Whatever. I guess I'm a huge. From here, Din Djarin makes his way to Tatooine and is forced to deal with the hells of commercial space flights since he no longer has his razor crest thanks to Moff Gideon. I love that even Mando has to check his bag. And as this, like, hardened, like, bounty hunter, he still abides by the rules. I mean, after the heaviness of last scene, with, like, Din, like, being disowned by his own tribe, we still get, like, a ridiculous moment like this. But, that, I mean, that's just classic Star Wars. On the ship, we find Din Djarin thinking about Grogu as we see the small wrappings of the armor seems to be shaped the same as Grogu's head. So Christian, what do you think they actually made Grogu here? Based off what it looked like the armorer had, it looked like they were making Grogu some chainmail. So it could be like a Beskar chainmail suit. Okay, because that, I mean, that spear was pretty fucking big. So like, what uh, did they do with the rest of the metal? <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, the package in his hand is tiny. Yeah, so. no, I know, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's because there were like chain links or something that we saw, mm. right, at one point. So, I mean, I guess that would make sense. But I don't know. I would feel a little slight if I was Grogu. I'd want something, you know, <laughs> more like a helmet or something. That spear, well, was, that mean, spear was giant. Hopefully he grows more in the next few years <laughs> at some point, you know. Yeah, maybe but Din will, like, pass down his helmet to him. Though it might need to be a little wider. <laughs> that is true. They could cut out holes, right, for his ears. <laughs> After Mandu arrives to Tatooine, he heads on out to Polymato's shop, only to find her under attack by some space rodent, saving her in the nick of time. Here at the shop, we actually get our first look at a live-action BD droid resembling that of which travels along with you in the hit Star Wars game Jedi Fallen Order, that I am actually currently playing with you all on stream. Way to sneak a plug-in, Christian. Always. <laughs> Here at Mato's shop, we find out that Mando had stopped by after receiving a message from her about a possible replacement for his beloved Razorcrest. However, the ship Polly has in mind is nothing like it. And in all my years, I never thought Star Wars would bring back the Naboo Starfighters from Episode 1, but that's exactly what Polly Mato offers to Mando. With a little help from the Jawas, which Polly Mato actually had a relationship with one of them before in her life, the two of them end up tricking out this N1 fighter in a glorious sequence. I mean, again, I never thought I would ever see a weapon build sequence in a Star Wars film, let alone a ship build sequence in a Star Wars property like this. Book of Boba just seems to understand me as a fan of Star Wars. Yeah, so this was pretty much the equivalent to like porn for you, right? Like, oh, I yeah. mean. <laughs> 100%. I was I was definitely thinking about you during this scene. I was like, oh, Christian's getting off on this so hard right now. <laughs> Holy shit. What the hell is going on? Like, this is a dream sequence for you. I mean, especially like like 15 minutes earlier, we have fucking armorer, like, you know, making a weapon out of the, the spear, you know, for Grogu, which was a sequence I knew you had to love, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, like 10 minutes later, we get like a whole shipbuilding scene. I mean, Jesus Christ, if I didn't know better, like David Filoni must actually listen to this show like and, and care about what you think. Those are all things you've been demanding for years now. 
Exactly, and I'm still demanding the lightsaber build scene, so that's next. Let's do it. Let's do it. So really, the last 20 minutes of this episode was just a pure love letter to, like, prequel fans? And while that's all fine and good, I just wouldn't of mind to see at least one scene with, like, Boba to tie things together. You know, and further that story also. You know, just just a moment. Um, and maybe it's because I'm a different generation of Star Wars fan and I'm not like a huge prequel guy, but I don't need 10 minutes of them rebuilding a fucking ship. Like, <laughs> especially when there's only like two episodes left of like, you know, the series at this point after this one. Don't get me wrong. Like, I thought it was entertaining, but I mean, Palimato like feels like she's better in small doses, maybe. Like, she started to kind of get on my nerves here. I, I don't know. How how did you feel about her? I mean, the Jawa gags and stuff got a little bit, you know, too much by the end. But it was a little too I, over I the was, top, right? Yeah, it was a little too much. But at the same time, it was like, I I get what they were trying to do by slowing things down after giving you so much beforehand. But I do agree, you know, with there only being so many episodes in this and it being a series that's supposed to be about Boba Fett, there, there definitely should be a little bit more Boba Fett in this, at least in this episode alone. Yeah, just a moment or something, right? Exactly. Just to, you know, to remind us that this is a series about Boba Fett. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure it's all going to tie together, you know, the next couple episodes. But yeah, it was a little glaring that, like, Fett's not even in this episode at all, right? But with that being said, I am glad, like, you know, prequel fans got this moment to really shine. Uh, and I mean, the ship's pretty fucking badass. I just don't know if I needed like a 10 minute montage scene of them, like, <laughs> you know, building this thing. And I did feel like they did a good job of blending, you know, this era of Star Wars with like the prequels, because I feel like sometimes like the prequels and, you know, this era feel like almost two separate like entities, if that makes sense. No, completely. And even like this episode alone kind of plays with that idea with uh, later on as he uses a like total different like me mechanic in his ship that doesn't exist in anything in the you know, original trilogy. Now, Shiny and Crow, Mando takes this bad boy out for a spin and we get a scene of him flying through the same canyons as Anakin did during the pod races of Phantom Menace. Pushing it even further, Mando punches through the atmosphere and kind of illegally flies a little too close to a commercial spacecraft, which brings in a couple of X-Wings from the New Republic. Captain Carson, who had actually run into Mando before, decides to question him about his ship, the Razor Quest, as it has shown up on Imperial Transpondence logs. But instead of answering these questions, Mando simply ignites into sublight speeds able to outrun the X-Wings with ease due to his now custom pre-Empire ship. Yeah, they're definitely like trying to show off here just how fast his new ship is, um, which I'm sure is going to come into play later on in the story. I just like that he modified where, you know, a droid would usually go on the ship so that there'd be space for Grogu in the future. Yes. <laughs> Very cute. <laughs> Do you think he's going to get one of those like baby on board signs? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Because, I mean, he's definitely like in straight dad mode right now. Yes. <laughs> Which it'll be interesting to see if that brings him into conflict with the Jedi. Because as Anakin found out, they don't give a shit about your parents or family. <laughs> no. No, it's Luke training him. So I, I feel like there's a little bit more compassion there. <laughs> I hope so. 
As Dinjarin returns to Mado's shop, Polly informs him that someone had been looking for him, and within seconds, Fennec is able to jump down, having easily gotten past Molly's security systems, and offers Mando a job to work with Boba, which Dinjarin actually decides to do it for free, though he has to meet up with an old friend first, thus ending this week's chapter of Book of Boba. So, I mean, even though it didn't feature any Boba Fett whatsoever, it was probably one of the best episodes of the series uh, uh -huh. overall. <laughs> even if I was kind of scratching my head with the last 10 minutes and everything, um, I thought it was an amazing episode. Uh, so, do you think we're going to actually, like, visit Grogu next episode? I'm hoping if he has to go see Grogu, because that's what he definitely alluded to there at the yeah. end. Um they do it off camera and we focus on Boba again because there's not enough time to do a whole mission where he goes meets Grogu and now we go back to the Pikes and deal with all that. Yeah, I could definitely see it happening off screen and maybe they tell that story in the third season of Mandalorian. And while I'm sure a lot of people would be disappointed by that, like we just have like, you know, Mando show up and arrive on like Tantooine to help Boba Fett, you know, in the next episode. But like by chance we do get like, you know, a Grogu sighting next episode. How cool would it be to also see Luke? And how cool would it be to see like, you know, Luke actually teach like Mando a thing or two about like, you know, welding a lightsaber. It would be very cool, but it can't happen in this series. <laughs> That's too much. <laughs> well, I mean, like we were saying, like, maybe that's a story that they save for, you know, season mm -hmm. three of, you know, Mandalorian. I, I doubt we'll get Luke doing it. Also, I feel like it's probably going to be Ahsoka who teaches them, you know, ah, mm -hmm. and we do know that Ahsoka is close to Sabine. So she should have some kind of working knowledge of the Darksaber. And with Sabine possibly showing up in the Ahsoka series, there's no reason to say that she couldn't possibly show up in Mandalorian to help teach him as well. I would not be opposed to that. <laughs> but my God, I mean, with the hard left turn they took, like, in this episode, I wouldn't be surprised if we got all that next episode. So <laughs> <laughs> I just had no clue we're going to get this much Mando in a season of Book of Boba Fett. I mean, it's just crazy. No, because I mean, even when we were speculating what this season could be like, you know, we said, oh, he'll show up maybe at the end to save yeah. the day or do something like that. But not a whole episode. There's pretty much just an episode of Mandalorian in the middle of this season. Right. <laughs> I'm definitely not mad at it. But all right. Tune in next week as we break down the next chapter of Book of Boba. We'll see if Grogu shows up or not. And now for a quick message from our sponsor, Pear.com. If you have a business, you need a website. What's the best way to get a website up and running? Choose a website hosting company that makes it simple like Pear Networks. Pear has over 20 years of experience managing the entire digital ecosystem for thousands of online businesses all around the world. Pear makes it easy for you with do-it-yourself website building tools and features including simple drag and drop page design, and they have guaranteed US-based support technicians ready to help you whenever you need it, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Right now, listeners, when you sign up with Pear Networks, you'll receive one free month of web hosting. See for yourself how easy it is to build your website for free. Visit pair.com slash free to get your first month of website hosting for free by using the code QUICKSTART. Once again, that's pair.com slash free, promo code QUICKSTART to get started today. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. 
This past week in gaming, rumors began flying after the massive purchase of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft. With now multiple major third-party studios now in the you know Xbox family, people began to ask what will Sony do? And one of the big rumors I saw floating around was the potential purchase of EA. Now, I'm not necessarily here to debunk this, but I feel like it's highly unlikely that Sony would pick up EA, especially with EA's current, you know, partnership program with Xbox Game Pass. But I do feel like Sony will be forced to, you know, start making some more aggressive moves in the gaming sphere as Xbox and its service, Games Pass, are making massive moves that are changing the industry as a whole. That's not to say I don't appreciate PlayStation's current focus on bringing narrative-driven titles to its console, it's you know the main reason I feel like I need to buy a PS5 because of all the experiences I will be missing out on. But if previous rumors about the you know potential PlayStation answer to Games Pass that were reported last year by Bloomberg were to actually come true, that would be a massive game changer, especially if it brings you know all their newer titles to PC as well. It's definitely something that I'm hoping actually happens, and I feel like a huge missed opportunity if it doesn't. All in all, I think this will be a pivotal year in gaming as the landscape is truly changing and we will keep you up to date on all things gaming right here on Christian's Corner and on our live streams as well on Twitch. We're live Thursday through Sunday and bonus streams are on the horizon. February looks to be a huge month in gaming with plenty of new titles for us to try so make sure to tune in live as we bring you our first impressions of new games this year. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Manscaped. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code 20AMAZING for 20% off plus free shipping. Start off 2022 right by rocking your package high and tight. Let all past regrets go along with your pubes as that countdown clock strikes midnight. It's New Year, New Me with global leaders in below the waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium Body Wash. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the Signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. The advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000K LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land that 2022 looks to be. A grooming routine isn't complete without applying the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver before showing off your 2022 self. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest part of your body and are a big boost to your confidence into the new year. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their Shed Travel and Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs as a free gift to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. And the new product that needs no introduction, the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped, solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine. But in the shower, I shower every day and hope you do too. This body wash smells great too. It's cologne infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. Kick discomfort and poor hygiene to the curb this year and use the best tools for the job. Whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20amazing. 
Cheers to new balls in 2022. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code 20amazing. It's new year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. That's cool. That's that, really that, cool right brutal. there. This is... That's it right this there, This is revolting. Man. It is so apropos that the same place your journey started will be the same place it ends. I'm new in Chicago! All right, Christian, it is Royal Rumble season, and even though we aren't really covering WWE much nowadays, uh, with the Rumble weekend upon us, I thought we'd go ahead and make our predictions for both the male and female Rumble matches this year. Uh, do you, my friend, have the list of competitors for both matches? Yes, yeah, so far announced we have Angelo Dawkins, Montez Ford, Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio, Austin Theory, Johnny Knoxville of all people, Sheamus, <laughs> Damian Priest, AJ Styles, Big E, Happy Corbin, Madcap Moss, Sami Zayn, Kofi Kingston, Kevin Owens, Omos, Randy Orton, Riddle, Chad Gable, Otis, Dolph Ziggler, and Robert Roode with a total of eight entrants still available for the men's rumble. Okay, well, hold on. Okay, let's stop okay. right there. <laughs> let's go ahead and make our predictions for the male you know, side of things because um, that's a lot to process. <laughs> so there's nine people who have not been named yet, correct? Eight for the men. I'm sorry, eight people who have not been named yet. So looking at this list of competitors, I find it really hard to make a case for anyone really to win <laughs> <laughs> the Rumble. Just, uh, you know, out of the, the lot of the, these names and just with like all the recent pushes, no one seems to be really receiving a main event WrestleMania push out of this group, honestly. Well, I it's it's WWE, so we have to look at it as, hey, this is the start of the arc. You know, that's how they're supposed Ooh, to do this. Do, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're giving them way too much credit. <laughs> and usually they telegraph a, at least a handful of guys that could possibly win, you know, the, the Rumble. But like out of these names, I don't really see that. I mean, even Big E has kind of lost momentum after, you know, losing his belt to Bobby Lashley. So, because I, I, honestly, like, that's really the only name that jumps out to me. I mean, Orton's right now wrapped up in a program with Matt Riddle and RK Bro or whatever. So I don't see him possibly winning it. Uh, and AJ Styles has just been in, like, limbo, you know, with Omos. So I, I'm going to say it's probably someone who's not announced right now. If oh, I had yeah. to make a prediction, and I said this to you off mic, I really still think it's going to be Lesnar versus Roman at WrestleMania at the main event. Um, and I don't think it's going to be a title versus title thing because, you know, they're going to want to have two like main event title matches since mm -hmm. it is two separate nights. Um, so I could see Lesnar dropping the title to Bobby Lashley, um, perhaps with like, you know, Heyman turning on him or Roman or the Usos interfering. And then Lesnar enters into the Royal Rumble and wins the thing and then goes on to challenge Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania. No, that's exactly where my head's at at this point. Uh, I don't see anyone other than Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns walking out of the Royal Rumble. If, the, if either one of them were to lose their title, 
which I don't see Roman Reigns losing their, his title. But if either one of them were to lose it at Royal Rumble, it would have to be you know them winning it afterwards. Um, I mean, if I had to pick from this list of people, my only hopeful would probably be Dominic Mysterio, just because you know they would like that type of storyline. But beyond that, I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't see any of these people having a possible chance. You would really want to see Dominic in the main event of WrestleMania? Is that what you just said to me? No, but <laughs> they would want to see that. Not the way they've been pushing him of late. So I, I, I don't, I don't think there's any possibility of that happening. Um, honestly, so I mean, maybe somewhere down the line, but like he, he definitely is not getting that kind of push right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, my pick is going to be Brock Lesnar. It sounds like you're going with Brock Lesnar too, or possibly Roman yeah. Reigns. I it, I think it's going to be Brock Lesnar. Let, let's be honest. It it feels like, you know, since he's the baby face in that feud between him and Roman, it feels like it makes sense for Lesnar to enter it and win it, you know, to challenge Roman, especially mm-hmm. if he gets screwed by him earlier on in the night. You know, if Heyman screws him over or the Usos or something, um, you know, I could see that being a big moment. You know, for him. But who knows? I mean, maybe it's someone that's not announced yet. Maybe they have a surprise up their sleeve. I mean, is there anyone that you could see possibly showing up and debuting at the the Royal Rumble or, you know, making their return, perhaps? And why is it Triple H? Because <laughs> he's got nothing better to he do just now. He pedigrees no everyone, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be a great storyline, though. Like it's Triple H's mm. revenge against McMahon or something. You know, he's like an army of like old school NXT guys behind him, although they're all gone at this point, right? Exactly. So it'd be him yeah. and like Chapa. Right. Exactly. <laughs> although I guess, you know, Gargano could show up here. Mm. You know, I mean, I hope not for his sake, <laughs> but I mean, he could show up here. There's no way he'd win the thing, but I mean, that could be a nice surprise for fans because I don't, I don't see like who else could be making. You know, that big of a splash, uh, you know, at least on the male side for the Rumble this year. Although we do know that the Forbidden Door supposedly is open on the WWE side now with Mickey James, you know, actually being mm-hmm. announced as, you know, a competitor in the you know women's Rumble. And them actually bringing up the fact that she's, you know, the Impact Women's Champion. So, I mean, could we possibly get someone from Impact Wrestling or perhaps like new Japan or, you know, could they pull something that insane off? You know, I mean, for WWE, at least, uh, you know, this year at the rumble, Okada in the rumble, you predicted it right here. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Will Ospreay, like he's, he's stateside, right? That would be a crazy one. That would be a crazy pull. I, I feel like he's said too many things at this point, but you know, <laughs> uh-huh, right. <laughs> Fuck it, book it. My wild card prediction for the Rumble is Will Ospreay. <laughs> gonna say at least show it up, not winning the whole thing, but show it up. Uh, my my wild prediction is Bam Margera getting revenge on Johnny Knoxville here in the Royal oh, Rumble. <laughs> Speaking of Knoxville, when I like quickly glanced at the poster, I thought he was Hornswoggle. <laughs> Briefly, like it was weird. I don't know if it was just the blonde hair or something. I don't know. I could see uh, Matt Cordona showing up at the Royal Rumble. Okay. He's a free agent, and he's got a lot of, like, indie buzz right now. You know, even if it's, like, a one-off, I could see them trying to capitalize on that, you know, by having to make an appearance. I mean, I feel like two of those slots 
are probably going to be Corey Graves and um, Saxton getting in just so that they oh, can I have a moment. I hope it's not Saxton again. But Corey Graves would be great because mm-hmm. he's definitely he's cleared now. Yeah. But does he go like back to full time wrestling or is he going to do both and kind of, you know, be this generation's lawler? I just don't know if they would have a storyline for him like that nowadays. Like I could see maybe a feud with like Pat McAfee or something if they wanted to do like announcer versus announcer. But oh, that'd be horrible because that's exactly <laughs> what they would do. Uh-huh. Right? Honestly, if I was Corey Graves, I wouldn't tell anyone I was cleared. Uh-huh. I would just wait for my contract to be up and then, like, you know, jump ship. Because you're 100% right. That's totally something they would do with him. And they would just waste his comeback like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christian saw the writing on the wall, honestly, and, you know, got out of Dodge as soon as possible. So, And Corey Graves was, like, nowhere near the caliber of wrestler as, you know, Christian. So I'm I'm sure it'd be, you know, worse for him. All right. So who do we have on the women's side of things? So we have Rhea Ripley, Nikki Ash, uh, Dana Brooke, Carmella, Queen Zelina, Tamina, Shotzi, Blackheart, um, Natalia, Aaliyah, Naomi, Shayna Baszler, Charlotte Flair, Nikki Bella, Brie Bella, of course, Lita, Michelle McCool, Kelly Kelly, Summer Rae, Mickey James, Bianca Belair, and Liv Morgan are the announced women, while there's also nine open slots. First of all, I want to just comment on how ridiculous it is that Charlotte Flair is in this Royal Rumble match as SmackDown champion. It's insane. I mean, I know they're short on women, but (laughs) just ridiculous. And and like that really makes me terrified that she's going to win the thing so she can challenge Becky Mm -hmm. for the title. Um, How many people do we have not announced at this point on the Uh, women's side? Nine. Nine. Okay. Um, well, the big rumor right now is that Ronda Rousey is supposed to actually show up here. Um, that's being reported pretty much everywhere. If that is true, then my pick is definitely going to be Ronda Rousey just because, I mean, you don't have her show up and lose, right? Especially with like the amount of headlines and attention WWE will get from her making an appearance and then that guarantees her to be part of the main event at wrestlemania at mm-hmm. least. uh now will the fans shit all over that possibly um especially you know if you know she's winning it instead of someone like bianca belair who's still pretty popular even though wwe is pretty much botched you know all of her like momentum you know since last wrestlemania mm-hmm. uh but I mean, you could have, you know, Rhonda come out and be the one to eliminate Charlotte at the end. And that might, you know, get her some traction with the fans uh, and get, you know, people behind her. But I still feel like at the end of the day, if it comes down to a main event match between Rhonda and Becky, which I'm sure that's where they're going you know, too, especially since, you know, their original main event WrestleMania match kind of ended with a little controversy. I feel like fans are going to still be behind Becky mm-hmm. because, I mean, one, they've done such an awful job of, you know, pushing her as a heel. It just hasn't worked and the crowd's still fucking cheering for her. So you put Rhonda in there with her, you know, who's kind of an outsider who's been gone. I feel like the fans are still going to be with Becky. 
I don't know. What says you, Christian? I mean, yeah, if Ronda's in, then I feel like she wins no matter what. But I mean, like, to set up other feuds, I'm assuming Charlotte Flair will be eliminated by someone returning for SmackDown. And that's what will start, you know, the women's title, you know, whatever they're doing in WrestleMania there. But I absolutely could, I could picture, I don't know, maybe a returning Bailey getting a surprise victory or something like that. I would hope for something Asuka. more like that. Asuka as well. She's definitely yeah. a wild card in this type of scenario. But yeah, no, Asuka, Bailey, that's a good one. Uh, what about Paige? You know, I mean, there's been rumors that she's been working hard to get back in the ring. Uh, do we have another situation? Like, you know, could we get this huge, you know, comeback return from someone whose career was cut, like, way too short? I don't know. I just don't know if WWE is not as, like, into Paige nowadays as, you know, they might have been a couple years ago um, in general. Like, I don't know if her coming back will have the same type of, you know, power in there, or at least how they envision it. Um, I don't think she necessarily will win the thing if she does come Mm. back. I mean, if you think about Edge and Christian, didn't win the Rumble. Yeah. But, I mean, it could set her up, you know, for whatever title Ronda doesn't go after. Yeah, I I mean, I could see her being in the Rumble. I don't know if they'll put her in a title picture. I, I I feel like she'd be more in a tag title match, possibly. Christian, I don't even think they have women tag teams anymore. In WWE, honestly. they'll throw something together. They have two so, nights to fill. <laughs> I would, I would love for Mickey James to win. You know, and finally get her like shine. I mean, I think that'd be a cool story. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't see that happening. No. Either. But you know, it'd be a great PR move after the way WWE like treated her at the end. You know, when they let her go. Yeah, I mean, I I hate piggybacking off your pick, but if Ronda Rousey's in the Royal Rumble, I just don't see her losing. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, fantasy booking aside, I think if Ronda is in the Rumble, she's winning the thing. So it only really makes sense mm-hmm. if you think about it. Um, I'm sure, like, the rest of the card, you know, the rest of what, what did you say, nine people aren't announced yeah. right as of right now? I'm sure that's going to be made up of, like, you know, NXT talent, honestly. So, um, but yeah, no, it should be interesting. You know, I... I still love the Rumble, even though I'm kind of down on, you know, WWE as a product right now, you know, so I'll be watching uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it next week. Well, anyway, let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk some AEW Beach Break, which took place this past Wednesday. So one of the biggest highlights for me of the night was how they kicked off the show uh, with one of the best ladder matches I've seen in a long time. Uh, I love this fucking match. We had Sammy Guevara versus Cody Rhodes with the undisputed TNT title on the line. I love the way they started off this match with like actual wrestling. Uh, there was a story being told. There was psychology behind everything they were doing. It it wasn't just a spot fest like right off the bat. I mean, we got to see Cody's like more vicious side. I mean, Sammy is just spectacular and no one is more explosive than Sammy, mm-hmm. honestly, like in the ring. Um, you know, his first step is just, you know, so quick. Um, you know, uh, this match was literally borderline hard to watch because I was terrified. Like, <laughs> you know, each guy was going to get seriously injured because I know like in the ring, they have no fear. I mean, from that insane cutter that was just 
I mean, perfect. Uh, that will be like on like AEW highlight reels for years to come. Mm. Uh, to that like crazy fucking swanton bomb on the outside of the ring. To that crazy ass stalling suplex. <laughs> I mean, these guys put everything on the line and then some. I thought the finish was awesome. I, I think the right guy won. I mean, both guys deserve tons of credit. Uh, but, I mean, I thought they just told this great story of Sammy finally being able to defeat Cody. I mean, I think this match will go a long way to really, like, elevate Sammy. Um, you know, I mean, for Sammy, I think this is the kind of match that afterwards people start looking at him differently and holding him in higher regard. And Cody should get a lot of credit for, you know, putting him over at that level and for also not killing him at that during that crossroads <laughs> off the top of the ladder, because that was also incredibly reckless. <laughs> no, all the ladder spots were pretty incredible. It's just like, I think I'm a little soured on this story at this point with them. I didn't get that, you know, satisfaction of like, oh, Sammy's got the win over Cody at this point, because I don't know. Him just, you know, winning the interim title and then going into this. And it all just felt a little out of place for me, timeline wise. But I get, I, mm. you know, I get, you know, if they don't want to stretch this out till March, till there's another pay-per-view or anything like that. So, I mean, this was probably the only time they could do this. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's the TNT title. It's not the world title. Yeah. So I'm fine with, you know you know, quick title change with the belt. You know, mm. I, I feel like they've protected the prestige of the belt enough where it's okay to have these quick turnarounds because I really feel like Sammy was probably supposed to win the belt from Cody at Battle of the Belts. But un unfortunately, Cody obviously, you know, couldn't make it because of, you know, medical protocol or whatever the hell they were, you know, coining it at that point. Um, so, I mean, I was fine with it. I mean, it was a little clunky. I don't, I didn't need the interim, you know, title, mm. you know, in between there, they could have just delayed the match until, you know, beach break and, you know, had someone else, you know, defend their title that night, but that's neither here nor there. I, I thought it was an amazing match. And like I said, I feel like it's going to make a star, like a bigger star out of Sammy, honestly. Uh, with the attack on Fuego there, did you feel like that was more of a, you know, push towards being a heel or not? No. Uh, for Cody? Yeah. No, because Fuego had no reason to be out there in the first place. True. So, I mean... <laughs> if I yell at a guy, I, think... I don't just smash his face into the mat. <laughs> you don't know why he's... You don't know why he's out there, though. It's true. <laughs> he might interfere, so... um. You know, I got to say this for Cody. Like, I was a little worried when Fuego showed up. But, I mean, other than that, there really wasn't, like, your typical amount of Gaga mm -hmm. around, like, this match. Around a Cody match. Because, you know, Cody, if it's a big match, I mean, there's always a lot of fucking bells and whistles. But that wasn't the case here. He just let the wrestling do the, do the talking. So, I got to give him credit. Yeah, I definitely was scared once they started going out into the crowd. I was like... Oh, is this going to start, you know, are people going to start showing up out of nowhere? Are they doing yeah. stuff in the ring to set up for some crazy, you know, bullshit that he's got plans? They're going to be a mascot. Are they bringing back the <laughs> the bear again? Who knows? All right. So moving <laughs> on, uh, we had some inner circle drama take place. And all I can say, it's about time. I think Santana and Ortiz as a tag team, like, deserve spotlight. So I'm fine with the break at this point. It feels organic. Um, 
I think the drama during this match, though, between them and Jericho kind of took the crowd out of it. Did you feel that way? Um, yeah. And especially the way that Jericho was starting to back out and then came back for a second and helped them just felt a little off, especially with the crowd and just not knowing how to react to Jericho, you know, yelling at his own teammates. It's like, well, and like the fact that they weren't tagging him in the entire time. So it's like, well, who's the heel in this Mm -hmm. situation? But then Jericho ends up like helping them get the win. So it feels like they're trying to paint Jericho as the face here. Um, We'll see if that continues, though, because I could definitely see a heel turn from Jericho coming sooner than later, even though, you know, this was all started with Kingston stirring the pot. Um, I could see it being enough to kind of push Jericho over the edge and like you got to heal Jericho, you know, breaking up the inner circle, especially with Sammy being so successful. Mm. That feels like a great feud in the making. If mm. you get Jericho jealous, you know, going after Sammy, you know, for that, you know, TNT title. Oh, I definitely think Sammy has a Judas effect coming his way sooner or later. Yeah. No, I do too. So after that, they announced in a really weird promo package that we're going to get a Texas death match between uh, Lance Archer and uh, Adam Page for the world heavyweight title. Um, I don't know. Felt a little strange. I'm sure it's going to be a good match, but just the way that they announced it. Yeah. Like that, like Hangman didn't even know about it until like the, <laughs> that promo. <laughs> that was kind of weird. Um, it's definitely kind of a filler match. Um, I'm glad it's taking place on TV and not, you know, pay-per-view. I just wish after such a great feud with, you know, Brian Danielson, Hangman was moving on to another like hot feud um, to just kind of keep his momentum going. Because I feel like this is definitely a placeholder. At best. Well, it's it's hard to go above, you know, Daniel Bryan or, or Brian Danielson, I should say, at this point, because um, I mean, like, what other talent is there above that to go up for the world title at this point? But you could have him face a competitor where you actually believe he has a chance of well, like losing yes. against, <laughs> right? Because like no one in their right mind believes that you know Lance Archer could actually walk away with the title again. Mm-hmm. So you could have him go against a John Moxley. You could have them face off against an Adam Cole. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different wrestlers in AEW who are deserving, more deserving of a title shot than Lance Archer. And we said it last week, like we see Lance fail over and over Mm. again when he gets these big matches. So it's hard to take him serious as a contender for that belt. And how is he even number one contender? Is this just because he, like, accepted the challenge, I guess? Yeah. It, I mean, he attacked him, and then that's about it, you know? I'm that's fine with that. But if I was in the top five for, you know, the title, in that title picture, I would definitely be a little annoyed, right? Well, yeah, because I've earned it, and he hasn't. <laughs> Another big highlight for me on Dynamite this week was uh, the CM Punk MJF segment. I thought they did a great job just, you know, recapping the whole program uh, between the two, really building up a lot of anticipation for the match in Chicago. Uh, I just thought it was fantastic storytelling across the board from both guys on the mic. Um, You know, 
recently I felt like they kind of lost momentum. Um, but here I thought they gained it all back, mm. uh, you know, and just, you know, ending it with like this, like beat down from the pinnacle only really made sense, um, you know, for MJF as a character. Uh, and they even like found a way at the same time to further like Wardlow's storyline. Um, I really don't know which way this feud is going to end up. But I really do think there's a good chance that we see Punk lose in Chicago. No, that would be insane heat, especially for MJF. That would be a great you know, moment for him. But I don't know. I was just happy that in this you know segment, no one came to save Punk. You know, I was afraid that like Darby Allen and Sting were going to show up in the middle of this like beatdown. Speaking of which, though, like, did you catch JR saying that Punk's a smart guy and that he's not going to go to Chicago empty handed or like without a plan or something? Yeah, around without friends. Those lines? Yeah. Right. I did think it was kind of a weird line. And I, I thought maybe he was hinting at like Sting and Darby maybe being in Punk's corner, hmm. especially if FTR interferes. But then I remembered FTR kind of has this like cross branded feud going on with the Briscoe brothers. And they've been kind of rumored of showing up at some point in AEW. So could we possibly get like a Briscoe Brothers sighting here? Um, I mean, that would be an interesting play to do. And I they have the Ring of Honor connection. I mean, I have no problem seeing FTR versus, you know, them good old boys in the middle of an AEW ring. So, But like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see Punk lose this match to MJF here. Um, it would do so much for his career uh, and really just like elevate him into that title picture against Paige. And I feel like that's eventually where we're going to lead to, you know, with Hangman being champion right now. I mean, just a huge program between him and MJF. And if that's the case, I could definitely see MJF getting a title reign by year's end, at least. Uh, we also had a moment where Britt Baker showed up with all of her, you know, prizes and stuff that she's had, you know, women's wrestler of the year and stuff like that. Um, all has been awarded to her. And, you know, she made it to the top of our list, I believe, uh, for 2021. So so good for her. But the whole segment itself felt like it went on way too long. And like for nothing, you know, for not to build up any type of storyline and not have someone come attack or break something down or do something. I don't know. It felt so weird to just have her ranting for like a good five minutes. It sounded like a house show promo. Yeah. Like I was expecting for someone to come out. I was like waiting for someone to come out and like defend Cleveland or something. Like I was like, what's going on here? And then like for no one to show up, I was like, what was the point of that segment? I, it was I just no like idea. her putting herself over as a, you know, and, and, you know, getting heat as a heel. And she doesn't it was just need very to. very <laughs> strange. It felt like filler. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, right. You're right. It, she doesn't need to. Like, why not have her build up to some kind of match? And maybe plans got scrapped or something happened that they had to call an audible but it was a little awkward because when it ended i was like that okay that was what was the point of that well, that's it <laughs> i was like what did i miss i'm like a table was set up and no one went through it huh <laughs> it was just really weird like I, I didn't get it and it was long right it was very long it was just her going and going and going and kept it felt like she was treading water a little bit like doing the same thing like every yes. once in a while, like, oh, I got to bring up the town that I'm in and, you know, slightly yeah. insult my own hometown for some reason. But like, <laughs> I mean, I get it. And that's getting heat, but that's getting heat like local heat, yeah. if you will. 
Like, I don't give a shit about fucking Cleveland <laughs> sports teams, you know, and I don't give a shit about fucking Pittsburgh sports teams for that matter. So, like, it just did nothing for me. And I don't think it did anything for her for that matter. Like, why not take that time to, like, you know, start a new program or continue a feud? Because right now, I don't even know who the number one contender is for that title. I mean, me neither, to be honest, at this point. Would it be like Jade Cardgill since she still hasn't lost? Like, no, but she's got the tbs title so i don't think they're gonna you know double champion <laughs> yeah i don't think they're gonna count her in like contendership uh-huh. for her about right now you know she'll be too busy defending her own so yeah and if you do that you run the risk of making her belt look lesser than you know mm-hmm. the world title and they they're trying to push this idea that these other belts aren't secondary titles i was thinking thunder rosa but she's in the middle of a feud with mercedes martinez I was almost half expecting Riho to show back up. <laughs> I, I mean, at least it'd be someone. Uh, but the last major highlight we had of the show was uh, the lights out match between uh, Orange Cassidy and Adam Cole. Um, I was surprised to see Orange go over here. Um, but I mean, like I said, the feud had been pretty one sided. So, I mean, it would have definitely sucked if Orange just, you know, lost every match against Adam Cole. I don't think that helps him at all. Um, It was a lights out match, so it was unsanctioned, so it doesn't count against Cole as a loss. So he still gets to be number one contender. Um, But it is kind of weird to have your number one contender lose a match, you know, and then go on to actually get a title shot. So, um, and we'll see if that title shot is happening anytime in the near future. Like, I almost feel like they would have to have another match, maybe like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take your number one contendership spot type of match. And that's how you have, you know, Adam Cole redeem you know this loss. I know it doesn't matter to his record, yeah. but I agree with you. He shouldn't have lost this feud. Like, maybe they should have made I don't it think less he lost against the Orange feud, Cassidy. Though. I don't think he lost the feud because he had more wins. Overall. Well, yeah, but so I mean, just because you lost the last match to me doesn't mean you lost the program. But at the same time, it doesn't help with his perception as a title contender, right? I will say for me though, the highlight of the match was Danhausen, you know, making an appearance. <laughs> if you listen to the show, you, you know I'm a huge fan of Danhausen. So the fact that he's signed with AEW finally, I mean, I popped. Um, you know, it's definitely a dream come true for me. So. <laughs> there's that i think he'll fit in nicely with AEW. also like i hated the finish of this match i will say that like while i thought the sum of the match was good like the finish i really did not enjoy it all like i thought it was way too cartoony for everything that they were doing like leading up to that point you know i mean well besides the fact that dan Housen was underneath the ring (laughs) out of nowhere (laughs) i mean the weird best friend hug at the end and like Cole, for some reason, like, struggling to get out of it, like, Orange Cassidy is like a grizzly bear or something. And it was shot at a weird angle, so you could see, like, Cassidy change his grip, so it looked like he was barely even holding on to him, so it made it even mm-hmm. look worse. Um, So, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I, overall, I enjoyed the match, but could it have been better? Yeah. I mean, you Compared to most of the like unsanctioned type of matches that we've gotten here in AEW, this felt like, I don't know, the lightest affair out of all of them. I, it was I definitely it. more war- watered down yeah. than the other ones. Because, I mean, yeah. it's it's Orange Cassidy, so the, I guess they want to play up more of his, like, you know, his style and more of the comedic side of his character in a type of match like this. 
But yeah, that finish alone was just very rough to watch. Um, you know, like they could have just gone for like a punch and then he dodges and then lifts him. That's about it. <laughs> right. Right. Or do his finisher. Oh, the beach yeah. break, which is the name of the fucking special, the beach break, right? So just makes sense. It's like perfect synergy, but like, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I did like the ref falling into the hole a little bit there at the end. That was funny. The crowd totally popped for that, too. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a good match overall. Yes. Like, I'm not shitting on the entire thing. It was a good match. I just didn't like the finish, so... And obviously, they still have huge plans for Adam Cole. So, and even though we've been talking about like him getting a title shot, I have a feeling most of his plans revolve around like you know his like mini feud with the Bucks and like all that drama between you know the Bucks and the Undisputed Era, which hopefully will involve a returning Kenny Omega. Because I mean, really, that's the dream match, right? Absolutely. And if we can get those trios titles, uh, any yeah. day now. Like, now? Stats? <laughs> what are we waiting for? <laughs> so I was thinking about that, and I don't want to get into a whole tangent, but I, I was like, you know what? D- Death Triangle as a whole would be perfect to join the House of Black. There you have a trios team. You could have the Varsity Blondes as your tag team. Uh, oh. And then, you know. I don't need I don't need both of the Varsity Blondes. <laughs> <laughs> because you could just have Aleister Black and Brody King go after the tag titles. You don't need the Varsity Blondes. Yeah, but then, I mean, you could have one of them go for the TV title and one go for the world title. You know, there's a there's a belt playing. The problem for here, Christian, is there isn't a TV title. Well, the TNT title, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I could see Pillman joining and maybe Hart, but, you know. Griff Garrison. Who needs him? <laughs> Poor Griff. <laughs> he's a talented guy. I'm sure he'll do great. But like right now in this program, he's disposable. Just do great with his future endeavors, apparently. No, right. no, no. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, join us next week as we break down Chapter 6 of the Book of Boba Fett. Find out if we get a Grogu sighting. Plus, WWE's Royal Rumble will have passed, so we'll give you our review of the big event. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Now this is Pod Racing.